welcome back. Thank you for tuning in again to Who Knew We Didn't. My name is Marta and my partner in podcast over here is Megan. Yeah. Today we are talking about psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder. You guys have probably heard these terms used interchangeably in academic research and in um, pop culture, movies, TV, for sure. Thank you, because I was losing the word there. So <laughs> thank you. I saw you looking up wondering. Uh, thought I'd jump in and Did you it. know that people look up when they're trying to remember something? That's true. And so yes. if somebody's looking you right, right in the eye, it could mean that they're lying. Uh, or down something. apparently it means oh, that yeah. they're lying mm-hmm. yeah either one that's not what we're talking about today okay so they're used interchangeably in clinical and popular media we use these terms and we want to know what they mean like today while i was teaching one of my students i just looked at her and i was like what a little psycho and yeah I was like, she sounded <laughs> like a psychopath she was a nutter if you guys heard about this student but i was like wait is she actually a psychopath and then i went through the research that i already knew i did for this uh for this episode and she's not a psychopath just yet because you have to be 18 i think um I'm not going to do this yet, but I do happen to have a list of things that you need to meet yes. to be a psychopath. So we'll get we'll get into that for sure. Um, I just want to get into the terms a little bit before we jump in. So what's going to be happening is I'm covering the the general of like all three of them kind of. So how these terms came to be, that sort of thing. Then Megan's going to be talking about psychopathy and sociopathy. Compar- Specifically yes. and comparing them. Yes. Yeah, compare and contrast, which is one of my favorite alliterations from school essays compare Mm -hmm. and contrast Uh, and then i'm going to be talking about antisocial personality disorder and closing it up so that's what you guys can be prepared for (laughs) buckle up um in the early 1800s doctors who worked with mental patients began to notice that some of their patients appeared outwardly normal but they seemed to have an internal moral depravity or moral insanity and this is where the term psychopath came to be the word psychopath comes from oh my gosh this is so funny i did the exact same research and have it do you want me to jump in and give it to you yes Uh, the term was coined in 1847 from the Ger- German word psychopathisch. Oh I my think god, is how we you read the exact it. same thing. <laughs> uh, from the Greek word psyche, meaning mind, and pathos, meaning suffering. Mind suffering, um, which is kind of true as we go into it. Um, but the term was changed to sociopath in the 1930s to emphasize the damage they do to society. So this is part of the reason that the terms are used interchangeably. I don't know if they're actually different now. Megan's kind of making a face. My, uh, my research answers that question, yeah. but it, well, at least it answered it to for me. Yeah. yeah. So I've always thought that they were different and distinct, but I think I'm about to get schooled, which I'm excited about. <laughs> um, I also thought that they were different and distinct and they sort of are, but there's sort of quite related. a lot of overlap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I'm going to talk about personality disorder in general. So before somebody can be diagnosed with a personality disorder, according to the diagnostic statistical manual, um, this is like kind of the DSM. I'm going to be referring to it. A yeah. Little bit. Henceforth, we are just going to say DSM because that's yeah. a mouthful. That's kind of like the Bible for psychiatrists for diagnosing. It gives them criteria that the patient needs to meet. It's really like hard and fast rules like if they meet three of these seven things then you can diagnose them as this which is really great and easy 
but I'll get into it why maybe this isn't our best option. But according to the DSM, criteria for any personality disorder are impairments in personality functioning and the presence of pathological personality traits. So not only is a person seem kind of off, but they're like actually pathological traits. Like there's real issues with these traits. And the criteria are significant impairments of self and in interpersonal functioning so if they have problems with empathy or intimacy or they have problems with their own identity or self-direction this is a criteria um they have to have impairments in personality functioning and expression so if they're uh if these impairments are relatively stable over time then that's personality disorder if they tend to fluctuate it could be as a like caused by something else like like a chemical disorder or drugs um, some sort of like uh environmental thing Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. um it needs to be not better understood as normative for their sociocultural environment so what this means is we pick up we actually covered this in what was it we covered I think in our psych 101, maybe, or no. Or theories personality. of personality. Yeah, theories I of personality. I found a bunch of stuff that I was like, oh, that's just like our theories of personality episode. Yeah, the social learning theory that we pick up things from our society mm-hmm. and it shapes who we are. So if you apply that theory to the way this person is acting, is it are they acting this way because everybody else around them acts this way and that's what they learned? Or are they acting this way like abnormally and it doesn't adhere to the societal norms? Um, and it... Oh, and the personality functioning isn't caused by drug abuse, medication, or severe head trauma. So those are the just general things to even allow yourself to continue into personality disorder diagnosis. Speaking of the word diagnosis, so first, uh, in the DSM-1, like the first version of the DSM in 1952, there was um, a disorder called sociopathic personality disturbance, and there were two types of sociopathic personality disturbance that has been scratched since then we've revised 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 completely changed the entire book and now it's called the dsm-5 um, where all psychopathy sociopathy and antisocial personality disorder have all been lumped into one yeah Um, they're all under antisocial personality disorder the there are two other manuals of diagnosis so there's the world health organization's icd so in international classification guidelines they also lump them all together but under something called dissociative disorder so everything's lumped together just or sorry sorry dissocial disorder not dissociative dissocial disorder yeah Um, dissociative i think would be something different. something else yeah Yeah. and then there's the mi nimh the national institute of mental health who at first rejected the dsm saying that there's not enough um empirical evidence but now it seems to lean on it, hmm. lean on the DSM and say, oh, turn to the DSM for this information. What's interesting, what a critique that I found is that the DSM and the ICD, so this is the like the, the diagnostic Bible, the DSM, and then the ICD is by the World Health Organization. They both treat mental disorders based on like the Aristotle th- form of thinking that each mental disorder is its own discrete entity um but there's a new area of research coming out by the national uh what is it national mental institute of mental health yes thank you it's it's nim (laughs) nim (laughs) um where they're saying that these disorders aren't 
necessarily discrete that they interact with each other and it's also starting to open up the idea that these functions could be or these disorders could be functions of neural circuitry so it like actually the person's brain is structured different which is which ties in my preferred definition of psychopathy better as well um so the dsm and icd say that this is like it has nothing to do with the brain structure these are just disorders and we don't know why um but the national institute has starting to think has been starting to think of a different thing saying that it's the brain structure for some of them not all necessarily it's kind of impossible to know who's the correct manual to use because the national institute sometimes relies on the dsm and sometimes has different classifications by the dsm the dsm is the only one that i learned about in school really and i was kind of surprised to learn that uh the world health organization has their own diagnostic criteria for mental health disorders yeah i learned that today just now a few minutes ago (laughs) when you said it um to throw yet another another cog in the wheel there's a psychopathy checklist revised which megan is definitely going to talk to us about um it's called the pclr which is um kind of been the tool that psychiatrists have been using to diagnose psychopathy and it i think goes more along the lines of the national institute's idea that there's like neurological issues but megan is making like a hmm Um. face I'm just thinking back to everything that I read and I did not even hear about um, National Institute. Yeah, I didn't he- hear about any of this when I was doing my research. So I really thought that the DSM and the PCLR were like buds, you know. They're um, not. The, apparently, I've just learned that too. <laughs> the, the DSM doesn't even acknowledge the PCLR because the PCLR has problems. Well, the PCLR is diagnosing something that the DSM doesn't acknowledge doesn't believe in yeah Yeah. so the pclr is specifically for psychopathy versus the dsm is like oh antisocial disorder in general um i'll say that the pclr nothing that i found on the checklist actually says the brain structure or the circuitry Mm. is different but it is something that is observed by people who use the pclr so like people who accept the pclr also accept that the circuitry could be different that like it is an actual yeah and physiological I, thing as i well. agree with that yeah it's not something inherent in the model like in the checklist model itself but um it is something i took a criminal psych class when i was in school cool. it was so cool and we spent like two weeks learning about psychopathy which is cool. why i was so excited about this um but all of the research like everything that i know or i thought i knew about psychopathy you're about to tell me if i was right or wrong i was like psychopathy is an actual like brain like a neurological structure thing versus sociopathy is kind of is the same traits or like the same behaviors but it's developed that's from what i kind of learned um that's what i kind of took although honestly a lot of my research really used the two terms interchangeably and like i was trying to do as scholarly a research as i could and not just like read psychology today so <laughs> um Which is, uh, pretty good so yeah I, I mean like I did still refer to it because it at least gave me a definition of sociopathy which I had a really hard time finding but anyway we'll get into that yeah so um part of the reason I think the DSM pulled psychopathy and sociopathy into antisocial is because they don't know enough or maybe it doesn't like fit into their concrete little rules. And so they're like, let's dump it all into antisocial because there's actually an interesting comparison that 
90% of people who are diagnosed or like who were assessed by the PCLR and found to be psychopaths, 90% of them also fit perfectly into the antisocial personality disorder yeah. criteria, but only 30% of people who are diagnosed antisocial personality disorder are also psychopaths are yeah or like scale psychopathy, yeah uh, fit the PCLR. PCLR yeah so it's it fits my idea that the antisocial is a bigger umbrella and that psychopathy is like a small niche of antisocial personality disorder it's like an extra like um what is it? an extreme case um the PCLR is certainly full of uh traits that if you exhibit them it's antisocial behavior yeah it's like extreme antisocial behavior yeah 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 um Finally, the last thing I wanted to say is that criminal criminality isn't necessarily involved with these things. So to be a psychopath doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be committing crimes, at least to my understanding. Yeah. Um, but it means that you might be more likely to commit crimes. And I'm sh- I feel like Megan's going to go into something like that. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, uh, sort of. It'll it'll get there, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's everything I had for my opening. Megan's now gonna compare and contrast for us. Okay, okay, okay. Um, uh, so now I'll I'll start talking about uh, the compare and contrast of psychopathy and sociopathy throughout this. Again, keep in mind that the terms really are intertwined in their clinical history, and they are largely used interchangeably. Um, so, like Marta said, the DSM, which is like the the manual of mental disorders. It doesn't actually use the term psychopath or sociopath at all. Um, it, it excludes both in favor of the term antisocial personality disorder. I think, um, I think it actually includes those words once. Oh, okay. In the preamble for antisocial personality disorder, it says sometimes referred to as, as ooh. these. Um, and then it was that other one with a D um, as well. So psychopathy. Dissocial. Yeah. And dissocial. Yeah. Um, I, the, the impression that I got is that the DSM talks about antisocial and psychopathy and sociopathy are like concepts, but not diagnoses in the DSM. They do, they, they do this thing where they're just like, oh, by the way, sometimes a, like ASPD is antisocial personality disorder. I don't want to say all of those words. I'm just going to say ASPD. Sometimes ASPD is referred to as psychopathy or sociopathy. Yeah. But heretofore is referred to as ASPD. Hmm. And I was like, "Mm, nice job. DSM. (laughs) Way to cover all your baskets. Is that a Um, saying? No, that's not a saying. uh, Bases. Bases. Bases is what you want. Oh, I'm such a foreigner. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Cover your baskets, ladies. I want a t-shirt that says (laughs) cover all your baskets. I can do that. Okay. Um, Um, but I also want to say, uh, they are entirely, both of them are entirely different from the term psychotic, although that is often thrown in this world as well. They're really, really, really different. Psychotics are truly disconnected from reality, where psychopaths or sociopaths are very much connected to reality. A psychopath doesn't have a conscience, um, and yeah, to take it back to our theories of personality episode, a psychopath, it's like they they don't have a super ego. That like morality clause thing. Oh, hey, Freud. <laughs> hey, how are you? Hey. Um, super ego, if you guys yes. don't remember. Yeah, I was going to try and do a Freudian accent there and it I just, I can't. <laughs> what would it be? German? Uh, no. Yeah, uh, Austrian. Austrian. Yeah, but they, I think that he spoke German 
they speak German in Austria. I'm pretty sure. I don't think Austrian is in the language. Yeah. <laughs> Cut this just in case it is. Uh, <laughs> um, and the note that I made to myself is Norman Bates is a psycho. Ted Bundy is a psychopath. Psychos are not psychopaths. They don't. They're not the same. That's all. Gotcha. That's all on that one. Okay. So to start talking about psychopathy, which is, I will probably talk a lot more about psychopathy than sociopathy because like all of my research pretty much said that they are the same. Um, So it is a personality disorder characterized by persistent antisocial behavior, uh, impaired empathy and remorse, bold, disinhibited, egotistical, egotistical traits. Uh, It's commonly used to describe someone as crazy or insane or mentally ill but it's really really different like I just said um and uh there are multiple conceptualizations of psychopathy so the and I'm really hope I say this right Klecklian psychopathy uh which is that word and avoided it like the plague yeah I think it's Klecklian um uh, developed by a man named Harvey Kleckley uh his conception it entails bold, disinhibited behavior and feckless disregard. Um, and I like that word. Good word. Yeah. Criminal psychopathy, which is a conception entailing like a meaner, more aggressive, disinhibited behavior with persistent and sometimes serious criminal behavior. Um, this is, by the way, typically used as the modern clinical concept and um, assessed by the psychopathy checklist. And finally, the triarchic or triarchic model which suggests that other conceptualizations of psychopathy emphasize three observable characteristics to varying degrees and the analyses here have been made with respect to how they apply to the tools of measurement like the pclr um and the psychopath no yeah psychopathic personality inventory which is called the ppi i'm not going to talk much more about that because i didn't look into it too much more because this was the only time that i really heard reference to it um anyways in general some signs and symptoms boldness low fear including uh high stress tolerance uh toleration of unfamiliarity and danger high self-confidence and social assertiveness Uh, may correspond to differences in the amygdala and other neurological symptoms associated with fear. Structural things. Yeah, yeah. Psychopaths, they tend to have reduced fear. And as I'll probably talk about more in in this conversation, um, observed in the brains of psychopaths is like a a significantly smaller amygdala. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. um, (laughs) Isn't the amygdala almond-shaped? I think there's something like... I, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think because I took a neurobiology course where we had to like dissect sheep brains. Yeah, and they're like, find the amygdala. And I'm like, find the almond. <laughs> so. That's cool. I didn't know that. Disinhibition, poor impulse control, uh, pro- problems with planning and foresight, lacking effect and urge control, a demand for immediate gratification, poor behavioral restraints, and it may correspond to impairments, or this may correspond to impairments in the frontal lobe systems that are involved in these controls. Amygdala is almond-shaped. Oh, yes. nice. Good. <laughs> Thanks for that update. Um, and meanness. So a lack of empathy, close, uh, sorry, a lack of empathy or close attachments with others and defiance of authority. 
Um, socially, psychopathy expresses as extensive, callous, and manipulative, self-serving behavior with no regard for others. So a large body of research suggests that psychopathy is associated with atypical responses to distress cues, like facial and vocal expressions of fear and sadness. Um, this also includes decreased activation of the fusiform and extrastriate extrastriate we'll put a question mark next to that word as i don't know how to say it cortical regions i've always heard extra striate cortical regions which (laughs) may partly account for impaired recognition of responsiveness to those expressions of fear and um, impairments of empathy mentally uh it is expressed by impairments in processes related to affect like emotion and cognition particularly socially related mental processes uh, have been found in those with the disorder which suggests that their destructive social behavior is born from these um, aberrant mental processes Uh, dysfunctions in the prefrontal pardon me prefrontal cortex and amygdala regions of the brain have been associated with specific learning impairments in psychopathy and since the 80s or so scientists have linked traumatic brain injury including damage to these regions with violent and psychopathic behavior Um, patients with damage in such areas resembled psychopathic individuals whose brains were incapable of acquiring social and moral knowledge and those who acquired damage as children may have trouble conceptualizing social or moral reasoning while those with adult acquired damage may be aware of social and moral conduct but be unable to behave appropriately makes sense Mm -hmm. we learned so much from damaged brains i don't know if i've mentioned this learn from your mistakes yeah but it's really terrible but the um, experiments that were conducted on people in uh concentration camps the extremely unethical studies that were conducted on people in concentration camps actually taught us a lot of what we know today about the brain or how people function or how people adapt to crisis situations like that. Just wanted to say, along with like mm-hmm. when people, there's this the famous dude who had a railroad spike through his head. We learned so much from him about like anger impulse management and what part of the brain manages in- anger impulses. So cool. Wow. We'll talk about that. I learned about a very unethical study conducted on psychopaths that I am quite sure taught us fuck all about (laughs) psychopathic behavior. Yes, yes, yes. Is this the one that I told you about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. I'm going to stop interrupting. No, no, no. It's fine. We can talk about it real quick because I don't, it doesn't fit into anything. I really don't know what they learned from this shit. Um, But it happened close to here. It happened in Penetanguishene, which like you have to drive through penetanguishing to get here get a goosebumps lsd naked people just seriously that's about the extent of it it was honestly a a psycho uh uh, mental health facility i guess is what it would be called now Mm -hmm. it was uh, like a a ward ward. yeah a psych ward in a hospital in ontario in the 60s like this was not long ago and we had seen so much awful shit by that point, but they still continued to do this. They literally, they thought it was a good idea to make psychopathic individuals take off all their clothes, take repeated doses of LSD. Um, The first trial went for months. They were locked in a room together, like just the, the psychopaths naked and on LSD for months. And yeah. they're, they were fed through tubes in the wall. And it was all liquid food. So 
the apparently the thinking behind why this was done i'm not sure if you're gonna go into it i don't know why they thought this was a good idea so oh no yes i do they thought it would have help them open up and talk about their behaviors and talk about why they make these choices and show empathy and it's just like no that just is making a bunch of people who don't have these concepts be high together and like (laughs) like they're actually physically unable to like form the idea of empathy and like the feeling of empathy in their brain but the idea was that like this goes to the like to the is it a structural debate like is it a brain structure issue or is it a i think at this time they didn't social consider issue. that it was or maybe they were still considering if it was structural or if it was not yeah i don't, I don't, know, but... I don't think it was done because of the debate but it's definitely influenced the debate i think uh, so the thinking was, yeah, that if they lock everybody together on this psychoactive substance, like LSD has given other people like breakthroughs in other areas and it's been used for therapeutic purposes. So they're like, let's just fuck these guys up. It was funded by the Canadian government. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. When I was reading it, I learned about this in school. I was yeah. like, oh my God, I need to tell everyone. The government was like, oh yes, good idea. Check Hence money. this podcast. Yeah. These, these studies are the reason yeah. for this podcast. It's fucking nuts anyway so that was that (laughs) um oh uh last last little thing here developmentally the symptoms of psychopathy have been identified in young children with conduct disorder and is suggested uh pardon me suggestive of at least a partial constitutional factor that influences its development Uh, So now I want to move on to the psychopathy checklist, uh, which is otherwise known as the Hare Psychopathy Checklist Revised because it was uh, developed by a man named Robert Hare, also a Canadian, uh, and I don't think he gave anyone LSD, so he does have that going for him. Um, (laughs) If anything. (laughs) If anything. um, it's It's a psychological assessment tool that is most commonly used to assess the presence of psychopathy in an individual. Um, It's a... I think a 20 item or maybe 30 item, maybe 40 item now. It's gone through a few different versions. Uh, it's I think it a, started with t- 20. Yeah, it, it, it's a multi-item inventory of perceived personality traits and recorded behaviors that you're supposed to um, complete uh, based uh, through, pardon me, through a semi-structured interview along with a review of official rec- records. So that's how a psychiatrist would go about using this. Um Developed in the 70s by Robert Hare, as I said, it's rated by a mental health professional like a psychologist or a psychiatrist um, using these items. Each of the items in the PCLR is scored on a three-point scale. Uh, So the maximum score, I think, is 40 with a cutoff for the label of psychopath at 30. There's this, um, there's like an abridged version of it, like a short version to see if they you should even waste your time doing the longer version and we learned about the shorter version in school and i took it and it's honestly like one of those like little teen magazine quizzes Uh, it feels like this yeah like um i frequently find the need to uh i don't know take advantage of people who are less intelligent than me or something like that. yeah it's like a personality test that's what it feels like like a like a buzzfeed quiz yeah at the end it's like if you scored all threes you're a psychopath (laughs) um yeah well not woo but you know um so yeah the the cutoff for the label of psychopath is 30 out of 40 um in the current edition of the pclr the list uh 
has a few factors, uh, or pardon me, two factors. Factor one is labeled as selfish, callous, and remorseless use of others. Um, and the these factors are broken into 1A and 1B, uh, and both of them are correlated with narcissistic personality disorder and are associated with extroversion and positive affect. And then factor two is labeled as chronically unstable, antisocial, and socially deviant lifestyle. And this also has 2A and 2B. And they are strongly correlated to antisocial personality disorder and borderline personality disorder and are associated with reactive anger, criminality, and impulsive violence. So I'm just going to read off some of the items on the checklist for you all. Uh, superficial charm or glibness, which I liked that word quite a lot. It was word. thrown around in a lot of the it's research. frequently used in yeah, psychopathy. I like it. Uh, grandiose sense of self-worth pathological lying, cunning, manipulative, um, lack of remorse or guilt, shallow affect, callous lack of empathy, um, failure to accept responsibility for your own actions, need for stimulation and proneness to boredom, parasitic lifestyle, poor behavioral control, lack of realistic long-term goals, impulsivity, irresponsibility, juvenile delinquency, early behavior problems, revocation of conditional release, promiscuous sexual behavior, many short-term marital relationships, and criminal versatility. Some notable psychopaths, uh, Canada's two most notorious serial killers, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, were both rated on the checklist. Bernardo scored 35 out of 40. I was going to say, but Carla Homolka? 5 out of 40. Okay. So he was the psychopath in that relationship. She She just went along with it. She just, I don't know. Yeah, and that's that's how the story has been told too. That he was a psychopath, and the MFM live show in Toronto. Yeah. Karen goes into it. Really, um, if she had not met Paul Bernardo, would she have done these things? Probably not. But she did these things. Yeah, she was, she was involved. She she's very suge- suggestible and had shitty morals. But I don't think that she would have initiated these things. On her. no, she wouldn't have initiated it. But she like I'm not debating that she was actively involved in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. Anyway, also. Uh, Eileen Wardo scored 32 oh, yeah. out of 40. Huh. Yeah. Welcome to the welcome to the Psycho Club, Eileen. <laughs> no, the Psychopath, Psychopath Club. Club. Sorry. Psycho is different. I'm sorry. <laughs> Norman Bates is a psycho. Okay, sociology <laughs> so, sociopathy and psychopath psychopathy are like more different words, but they mean the same thing. But psycho and psychopath are the same word, just one's abridged. Yeah, it's just because psycho means mind. It's cuz we all have psychotic. the same they come from the same Greek root words and we throw them together as if they're the same but they're not yeah yeah anyway uh now i'd like to talk about a man named john ronson who wrote uh oh what was the name of his book uh i think it was called the psychopath test he's a journalist who's become very famous for being a psychopath spotter yeah he's british lovely to listen to him talk i watched two ted talks by him um both were very similar one was just longer Okay, so some facts that he shared uh, early on in his TED Talk, one in 100 people are psychopaths, but this increases to four out of 100 people if it's a room full of CEOs, which is interesting. Did you go into the game theory of psychopathy? The game theory of psychopathy? Yeah, so just when you said like one in 100, there's, okay, game theory, kind of part of game theory is that like there can only be as many predators as there are prey. So even though predators are 
the most powerful, arguably, and the most adapted to their environment, there can only be as many predators as there are prey. The moment that predators outnumber prey, predators die. Yeah. And so the theory of psychopaths, like, because psychopaths kind of, if you're super cynical, psychopaths are kind of the perfect person because they don't feel, well, not the perfect person, but the perfect machine. Perfect predator in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like the perfect evolutionary machine because they don't feel empathy for others. They, um, like as parents, they would likely kill somebody that threatens their own genetic line. So they should technically, there should be many more psychopaths than there already are. Um, But the reason that there are not is because when there are more psychopaths, they just start killing each other um, and they just start like ruining each other. So psychopaths flourish when they are amongst regular folk. But when as soon as they are amongst other psychopaths, it's pandemonium. So game theory, there can only be as many predators, psychopaths as there are. Wow. Yeah. If there's enough regular folk to support them. I did not go into that in my research, but I'm really glad you shared all of that. This is my evolutionary psych. Is yeah, my I was going to say, yeah. this is, that was great. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to retell a story that he told in his TED Talk that was really interesting. Um, so John Ronson told a story about a man he met called Tony, who at 17 years old got into a bar fight. He was facing five years in prison. And to get out of his prison time, he decided to fake madness, basically, to just pretend to be insane, to pretend to be a psycho. Um, So he told his prison guard or psychiatrist or whatever uh, that he was aroused by car crashes because he had seen something in a movie not long before about a person who was aroused by a car crash who was crazy. Mm -hmm. He also read a book about Ted Bundy and told the psychiatrist that he wanted to watch women dying to get aroused. And in the end, he successfully tricked them into thinking he was insane. And so he didn't have to go to prison. He did too good a job of it, though. And he got got sent to a major psychiatric facility. And, and then he was, was put there on LSD. for 12 years. <laughs> Holy shit. His, he was up for five years in prison. He was 12 years in this facility. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so Tony kept, like, he, he got there and he was like, oh, no, like, I need to get out of here. So now he's trying to convince them and, like, convince them that he's not insane. And even he, worse. I know. And Wait, now what was he's he put found, in there for in the first place? Uh, he got into a bar fight. Oh. And so it was like. Oh, my God. And so he tried to cl- claim insanity because he like, was gonna go away for five years just well 17 year olds they're not that's also well true. actually hold on to this because we will find out why he decided to nice marta just mimicked grabbing <laughs> something out of the air and holding on to it um we will find out why tony decided this was a good idea in a moment uh so he did too good a job of it he got put away into this facility for 12 years and now he's trying to convince them that he's sane and it turns out it's a lot harder to convince people that you're sane than that you're crazy you've already convinced them that you're crazy yeah exactly so anyway long story short uh john ronson finds out about this guy and gets a chance to meet him and um he found um that Tony seemed pretty normal. Like he obviously was trying to prove that he was sane, but he seemed pretty normal otherwise. And so John ends up talking to Tony's clinician. The clinician says, oh yeah, we accept that he faked it. Like we know he faked it. It was all very cliche. Like he faked it for sure, but we've assessed him and he's a psychopath. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And so faking his way out of prison, first of all, trying to fake his way out of prison and then trying to manipulate his way out of the hospital is classic psychopathic behavior. He would do, he would wear pinstripe suits Wait, so instead he got of out scrubs. Of the hospital? Uh, it, 
hold on. <laughs> he he was trying to get out of the hospital, right? He's trying to convince them that he doesn't belong there. So you said 12 years. Yeah, for 12 years. But he does get out. But you're ruining the story. Okay, I, okay, I'm sorry. Quit I'm sorry, it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so he uh, he uh, yeah, classic psychopathic behavior. He would wear a pinstripe suit instead of um, the scrubs and like sweatsuits that all of the other patients would wear Ugh. because he was trying to convince them that he's sane. And all of the psychiatrists <laughs> were like, oh, this is his sense of grandiose. And also, uh, sweetie, pinstripe suits don't mean like you're sane. really. Um, he wouldn't interact. He wouldn't interact with the other inmates because he was in a mental facility with like stranglers and like depraved criminals and like violent criminals so he didn't interact with them and they were like oh yes he like lacks empathy he doesn't um he's unable to form social attachments and like everything he does to try and prove that he's sane proves to them that he's a psychopath and just trying to pretend yeah, yeah and that like this is like it is perfect the fact and it the fact that he decided that this was a good idea shows um poor uh poor long-term goals like poor judgment um also isn't there something about impulsivity or or yeah yeah impulsivity and irresponsibility and um unable to like plan something out and it is manipulative and very cunning like all of it does fit the checklist quite quite well anyway um so this is this is the story of Tony, and this is what drove drove this John guy to become interested in the study of of identifying a psychopath. And so John Ronson decides to go and take Robert Hare's three day how to spot a psychopath course. And that's right, you heard me right. Robert Hare has a three day course, course on how to be a psychopath He's spotter. Not still alive, is he? Yeah, <gasps> yeah. Hey, hey Rob. <laughs> oh my god imagine can we get a gift here. certificate <laughs> yeah that'd For be cool course. too that'd be very or cool. yeah or do you want to just come on our podcast that'd be insane that'd be pretty insane probably, he, oh, we're in canada as well i'd fangirl so hard yeah i'd be like you were all over my textbooks <laughs> legit um oh, I'm such a nerd anyways so he takes this course he becomes really adept at it he starts working with ceos as you do in three days yeah as you do in three days um Some interesting notes from John's interactions with Robert Hare. Robert Hare says capitalism rewards psychopathic behavior, which it does. Uh, Capitalism itself is a pretty psychopathic concept, which it is. I would argue that it breeds psychopathic behavior. 100%. And perhaps this is why CEOs are... Uh, and major leaders are more frequently found to be psychopaths that like that number goes up to four percent of the population as opposed to one you know it's funny um calvin sometimes tells me to stop caring about other people so much (laughs) and i'm like and you're like are you a psychopath i've like low-key because there's i low-key think i'm dating a psychopath oh yeah there's uh there's this like anecdotal that well this anecdote that like if you yawn in front of a psychopath and they don't yawn back that it shows that they lack empathy yeah because there's like people don't know why yawns are contagious but there's like an idea that it's an empathetic response smiles are contagious too if you smile at someone and they don't smile does that mean that they're a psychopath oh my god the little girl today that i was working with i have to show you a video about a little girl oh perfect sorry (laughs) oh no i've seen it the little girl the yes the the one that kills animals yep 
and wants to kill her brother. I want to watch it anyway, but it is only twelve minutes. So okay, <laughs> okay back to we'll, Robert. We'll get through this and then we can we'll take a little break and I'll show you that I video because I watched it this morning and was like, oh my god, perfect. Yeah. Um, okay, so some final notes on the Tony John Ronson saga. Tony was uh, eventually let out of the hospital. He says that Tony says that he is not a psychopath. So. Tony says that one of the items on the checklist is lack of remorse, uh-huh. but that another one is cunning and manipulative. Uh-huh. And he says that he does feel remorse for his crime, uh, for the crime that got him in there, but that when he expresses that, the psychiatrist turns around and says classic psychopathic behavior, cunningly saying that he feels remorse as a way to manipulate us into thinking that he's not a psychopath. Like everything also, Everything this, one would do to prove you're not a psychopath yeah. proves you are a also, psychopath. Those damn pinstripe suits just just unforgivable. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, I completely agree with you. But I also do kind of agree that it can easily fall back on itself. And I I found myself reading through this and like learning about the PCLR and thinking, is it really right to to use a checklist? to determine that someone is a psychopath because it does affect it affects your um outcome like if you are determined a psychopath it will change your ability to be released it Mm -hmm. changes so much about what your future can be Uh, maybe if you're a ceo and you fly under the radar and you're a psychopath and you get away with it it doesn't negatively affect you but if you are in jail or if you have any sort of legal trouble and you're found to be that like, tell us about that. There's not much coming back from it. I can't tell you about it right now <laughs> because I have to talk about another guy okay. in order to lead into that. Sorry, just because I'll stop it, interrupting. It, I, yeah, we uh, got it. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, another thing that I thought was interesting that that John Ronson said was that the checklist defines people by their maddest edges, and that's a direct quote: "maddest edges," because mm. he's British. I don't say "mad" on a daily basis, and like, then I'm talking mad about as anger. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, mad as crazy. Um, and I thought, you know what? That's also true of this checklist. It does define people by their, like, Maddest. wildest attributes. Yeah, but um, I definitely wouldn't classify as a psychopath on there, even on my worst days. No, I wouldn't either. But, like, have I been manipulative in my life? Oh, for for sure. sure. Of course. Have I been impulsive and irresponsible? Absolutely. Part have of, I? Part of the DSM says that these things have to be consistent, which is what I like. Oh. They have to be consistently exhibited. I don't know if the PCLR... No, yeah, it does, does probably. It, it it well, yes it does, but it's based on an interview, a semi-structured interview by the mm-hmm, way, a semi-structured mm-hmm. interview and a review of official records. So, I guess is that enough to define consistency? Anyway. Don't know. I don't know. Um there were a lot of criticisms of the checklist and um I I have to say uh, or I found a a thing that said <laughs> half the hair hair pclr consists of, of pardon me half the pclr consists of symptoms of mania hypomania and frontal lobe dysfunction like the superficial charm and grandiosity and all of that um, which frequently results in underlying disorders being dismissed which is an important thing to remember about the checklist that like you could you could um, show these things and have them be consistent and have that be considered psychopath and have that, um, you could have something else, but people, 
identify you as psychopath and they stop looking for something else, I guess is what that means. I think brain scans should back this up because psychopathy, like the inability to be rehabilitated is based on the idea that your brain simply cannot Is everyone with a smaller amygdala a psychopath by default? Um, I think it's a combination of factors. Some people can be born with the appropriate genes to express psychopathy, but because of the way that they're raised, their brains actually develop differently. Yeah, which is because of neuroplasticity. Yeah, which is really fucking cool. So anybody whose brain allows it to make the amygdala so small, then yeah potentially yeah oh did you did you come across a study about the um psychologist who was doing two studies at the same time one about alzheimer's and one about psychopaths in jail um was his name daniel riesel uh maybe i don't know uh because i did i i'm about to tell you about uh brain scans yeah okay yeah do it um okay so daniel riesel uh, was working uh, with with prisoners, like high security in high security prisons um, that housed dangerous prisoners to study the inmates' brains and try and find out like what was the root of that behavior. He was specifically looking for uh, was there a neurological cause for their condition, and if there was a neurological cause, could we find a cure for it? So initially, he found that the psychopathic inmates had different physiological responses to emotions like distress or sadness they failed to show the emotions required they failed to show the physical response and here's a direct quote it was as though they knew the words but not the music of empathy yeah and this is why i think yes the pclr is a great tool but this kind of stuff like these physiological tests are the ones that actually determine yes should determine yeah so he did mri scans that showed an interesting phenomenon and a tentative answer here. Uh, And again, another quote here, our population of inmates had a deficient amygdala, which likely led to their lack of empathy and their immoral behavior. Um, So he goes on to explain that acquiring moral behavior is something that we do develop over time. By six months, we can discriminate between animate and inanimate objects by 10 months we can imitate other people's actions like as babies you mean not yeah. just like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, that we okay. like learn we learn um we learn our moral behavior like mm-hmm. when we develop our super egos to mm-hmm. throw it back to freud there um by the time we're four most of us are able to understand the intentions of others and this is a prerequisite for empathy So all of this is true, but that doesn't mean it's impossible to learn such behaviors later in life. So Riesel begins exploring neurogenesis or genesis. I would say genesis. Genesis, neurogenesis, which is the birth of new neurons in an adult brain. He began working with the brains of mice who's, and he studied their brains in very different environments. So some mice were kept in a shoebox and devoid of entertainment, um, kind of like a prison cell. And these mice lost their ability to bond with their fellow mouse. And other mice lived in an enriched environment, and these mice showed growth of new brain cells and connections and also performed better on a range of learning and memory tasks. So this shows that improved environment results in healthy, sociable behavior. So Riesel says, and I'm going to quote him again, um, 
When you think about it, it is ironic that our current solution for people with dysfunctional amygdalas is to place them in an environment that actually inhibits any chance of further growth. Hmm. And his suggestion is to consider rehabilitation through programs such as restorative justice, which encourages perpetrators to take responsibility for their crimes and their actions. Um, And on this, he says that it stimulates the amygdala and might be more effective as a rehabilitation practice than simply incarcerating them. And program these programs he admits that these programs would not work for everybody but for many it could be a way to and again a direct quote break the frozen sea within Mm. heavy right Mm. and a personal thought here no no okay go ahead um i from well at least from my from what i remember i don't have any like actual stats but from what i remember like what i learned in school there were a number of studies on um those kinds of like enriched rehabilitative environments Mm -hmm. provided in jail and anybody who ranked above 30 on the psychopathy checklist um was excellent at mimicking empathy the more you the more you try to rehabilitate them the better they become at being psychopaths and that's true of their crimes as well like for for like a criminal psychopath like the more they do it the better they get at it the less likely they are to be caught yeah and so that's one um that these people just they they just became excellent at mimicking it um but also they have the highest recidivism rate so as soon as they're released they reoffend like almost religiously they reoffend and versus the people who were not ranked on the psychopathy scale like who didn't classify as like who scored under 30 yeah Yeah. they had way lower recidivism rates so these um these people these prisoners who might have been lacking empathy for other reasons like because they were raised in a rough environment and they never were able to develop empathy that sort of thing yes they can develop it but i think psychopaths because it's a neurological deficit it's kind of like too little, too late. Um, I think that Riesel's point was that if, uh, like, that it is possible for the brains to continue to grow in adulthood, and therefore, it could be a physio- physiological change. Like, there is possibility for it. I'm curious to see research on that. How much an adult brain can change and improve? Um, well, yeah, the research that I learned about from him was on mice, not humans. So, <laughs> I I can't answer that question, but. Um, so that wasn't the guy that I was talking about. Oh. Yeah, no, there was a different psychologist. I think it was fairly recent, actually. And he was conducting two concurrent studies that both had neural imaging. Uh, one of them was just uh, Alzheimer's study. Oh, okay. One of them was a psych- psychopath study where mm-hmm. he was analyzing the brain scans of psychopaths because he wanted to see what areas of their brain are more or less active, whatever. But another, he was doing... Um, a group of brain scans for his family to analyze the their risk of Alzheimer's. I read about this as well. I think keep going. Sorry. Yeah. So he was looking through, and they were all blind, like blind scans. So he it was just a number. So he's looking through the Alzheimer's one. He's like, oh, weird. One of my psychopath ones got into my Alzheimer's batch of images and then so he looked it up and he's like how did this happen how did they get mixed up it didn't get mixed up he's a psychopath and he didn't fucking know it and then so there's uh i think he's on a he's either on a joe rogan podcast or another one another podcast that i stopped listening to like but i only listened to that episode and it was amazing about Mm -hmm. psychopaths um 
And he goes on to say that, like, no, I didn't have clinical uh, criminal inclinations. Yeah, yeah. De- delinquency. But he's like, my psychopathy could explain the fact like explain why i'm such a successful psychologist yeah why i'm so aggressive in my career like why i'm doing so well is because empathy never slowed me down like putting other people behind but he's like i have a wife whom i care about and i love in my own way like maybe not the way that we know love to be but he's like i have children who i care about and i can't imagine a life without he's like although i might not feel empathy he's like it explains a lot of things where I felt I was lacking hmm. but he's like it's possible to not know that you're a psychopath well yeah that like violence is not um delinquency is on the checklist but violence is not yeah you know what I mean yeah, yeah. like so like maybe taking advantage of people or whatever like there's a quote or like saying acting that a, out and yeah. like to a degree where you have to be punished there's a quote saying that a psychopath is more likely to con you than to murder you yeah yeah so, CEOs um and then there's ted bundy's who will con you into murdering you i'm so upset that he did it in a volkswagen (laughs) (laughs) okay so you were gonna you that was your talk about yeah that that was my talk about um well no like working with inmates and like potential hope for psychopaths but you squashed it so i didn't squash it i didn't no i didn't want to squash it because i i had actually never heard that opinion before like from what i learned or what i like what was presented to me was that it's kind of like hard and fast like yeah psychopaths are take their options for release or take this away. was the most hopeful thing this was the only hopeful thing now that i think of it that i read about psychopaths in that I, like I other, everyone if, else believes they should be removed from society i wonder if maybe that one was first his hopeful thing was first and then the studies that i read came next because they're like oh let's do tests on this oh maybe and see how psychopaths do this was fairly recent oh, um but not like like within the last five years but probably not in the last two or three so some background on sociopathy it's again an informal term that refers to a pattern of antisocial behavior and attitudes in the um dsm sociopathy is most closely represented by antisocial personality disorder um and it seems to me to be kind of a hybrid of antisocial personality disorder with narcissistic traits or narcissistic personality disorder with antisocial traits Mm. um so very loose term and it bridges a lot of gaps um in terms of sociopath versus psychopath, although they are often used intercha- interchangeably, um, they have been invoked to mean distinct things. Um, so according to psychologist and neuroscientist Kent A. Keel, sociopath refers to a person with antisocial tendencies that are ascribed to social or environmental factors, where a psychopathic trait uh, is more innate uh chaotic uh, uh, though a chaotic or violent upbringing may tip the scales for those already predisposed to behave psychopathically um from a 2014 article i found in the huffington post the shared traits between psychopathy and sociopathy are a propensity for violence remorseless mind and indifference to others rights and not caring about ethical behaviors or laws or morals um and 
sociopathic unique traits are um, prone to nervousness, distress, and temper meltdowns, um, not easily calm and suave like a psychopath. Like a psychopath will con you, like you said, like they're Mm -hmm. very charismatic and charming. Uh, A sociopath would not be. Um, They're capable of emotional bonds with others, but it is difficult for them to achieve. And despite the capability of emotional attachments, they disregard social morals as a whole. How did you say that sociopathy happens again? Like why is it, what is it, what causes it? Um, like, uh, is it a neurological structure? No. Okay. No, yeah, that's not what neurological was... structure. It's okay. like, uh, it's not like developed. Yeah, it's yeah. developed. It's like a nurture. Those people, I think. Psychopath would be nature. I think sociopaths can be rehabilitated. Yes. I think if sociopaths were put in a room for a couple months with LSD and they were all butt naked. You think they'd come out happy? Well, not happy. (laughs) Or like not antisocial? Not happy, but they would have had at least one light bulb moment about empathy or connecting to other humans. I don't know. I mean, LSD is apparently a hell of a drug. Yeah. I've never done LSD, so (laughs) I cannot comment. Um uh where was i where was i oh from the same huffington post article while it's believed that psychopathy is truly a different wiring of the brain and reduced amygdala the consensus among experts is that sociopathy is more likely the result of of bad upbringing including abuse uh since genetics and wiring isn't responsible for sociopathy a sociopathic individual does possess the ability to emphasize and love but it's a limited capacity um for me a sociopath seems to be like a psychopath with hope basically um like yeah someone with a, a chance at adapting the ability to care and lessen their antisocial behavior um it also seems like a sociopath might be kind of like a less organized less cunning version of a psychopath like they're more likely to act out spontaneously. They're they would be less calculated and more impulsive in their actions. They just suck at being a psychopath. Yeah, they're just like really bad at being a psychopath. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, um, a sociopath might act out in an antisocial way without thinking it all the way through. Like they wouldn't think through the consequences. Where a psychopath would absolutely think through the consequences, not care about them, and find a way around those consequences through cunning or manipulation. Um, both are clearly anti, like uh, exhibit antisocial behavior, but a sociopath is messier and less likely to act out towards someone with which they have an emotional bond. Like, <laughs> I made a very terrible joke here. They'd more likely kill the neighbor's dog instead of their own. I think that's a good joke. (laughs) I think it's probably offensive, but. (laughs) Okay, so now I'm going to be covering antisocial personality disorder. Antisocial personality disorder, I don't even think of it as like, well, yeah, it is its own thing. But the only reason it really exists is because the DSM doesn't want to talk about psychopathy and sociopathy. Or because they want to like lump these things yeah. together well not lump these things that's maybe a little too simplistic but like that it's just uh easier to have an umbrella term for this and say it's asp with these tendencies as yeah. opposed to yeah that's true defining it in clearer terms i don't know i didn't write it so i'm gonna fly through the criteria okay 
Um, they must exhibit a pervasive pattern of disregard and violation for the rights of others. Um, these behaviors must begin in childhood before 15. So if they were great children and then they stopped being good children when they became adults, it's not ASPD, it's something else. Hmm. Um, and it must continue into adulthood. So if they were only that when they're children and then once they become adults, they're fine, then they're don't not diagnosed they must meet the following criteria so they must have significant impairments in personality functioning manifested by either impairments in self-functioning or impairments in interpersonal functioning so i already mentioned that this is uh self-functioning is identity and self-direction uh interpersonal is empathy and intimacy so either or it can be both as well but if they have impairments in just one then it qualifies them oh because both i think would be psychopathic yeah 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 both lack of direction and a lack of empathy yeah. one or the other or both qualifies you for, for antisocial okay yeah um criteria number two pathological personality traits in the following di- domains antagonism and disinhibition um antagonism has ma- manipulative ma- <laughs> manipulativeness yes i got it deceitfulness callousness and hostility disinhibition means irresponsibility impulsivity and risk-taking it's all the same words that we've been hearing um i would really like to say the word glib but it doesn't come up in mind damn but i just said it so glib (laughs) take that glib um (laughs) next criteria is impairments in personality functioning must be stable impairments in the personality functioning must not be considered normative as like as normative in their societal environments so wow this is getting really tough good thing i'm coming to the ends of my notes so these are all the same things that i said like for diagnosis in any personality disorder so everything that you're hearing at the end here is for every personality disorder and there are others that we didn't talk about today that fit into this umbrella yeah there's personality disorders that we didn't yeah yeah we didn't talk about so we're just talking about the three well according to the dsm it's only one anyway um Oh, it must not be a result of drug use or medication, and the individual is at least 18 years. I'm just going to reiterate that uh, this statistic that 90% of people who were ranked by the PCLR as psychopaths are fit squarely into the criteria for antisocial, um, but only 30% of people who were antisocial fit into psychopathy. So it further... That's kind of similar to like if you're comparing sociopathy and psychopathy directly, that like a psychopath exhibits the same behaviors as a sociopath. A sociopath exhibits many of, but not all of the same traits as a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. And the first time that I, I don't know, the first time that I was researching for this podcast and I can't remember where it went, but there was a breakdown saying that psychopathy is the most intense and the least rehabilitatable then there's sociopathy which is also fairly intense but fairly rehabilitatable then there's antisocial which is like the least severe of the three and then below that and related is narcissistic personality disorder which we didn't touch on today but like it's uh, feelings of grandiosity but also the requirement for others to like to you evaluate your self-worth based yeah. on other people's evaluations which isn't necessarily true for psychopaths although yes. psychopaths do think they're the best so 
like all I think of these... they think they're the best, but they don't necessarily really consider. Oh, what did anyone I say that they thinks. don't think they're the best? No, no, no. You you did say that. Oh, yeah. I'm just yeah, yeah. Uh, like furthering. Yeah, to they that. don't consider. They don't consider exactly. what another person might think because they lack empathy. Yeah, yeah. So there, the first time that I looked this stuff up, there was like a really neat little outline, which is still how my brain is fitting it, and so everything that I heard today um, fits into that neat mm-hmm. little outline that they're all related but different in these ways, um, and that's about everything i started out by saying that antisocial disorder or aspd kind of just like houses everything and i'm finishing up saying the same thing aspd it really does and all of the research that i did like i was able to find stuff that was like this is a psychopath but i i really think that it's because um psychopath and sociopath are exciting words to use yes people want to talk about psychopath pathic behavior they want to talk about what a sociopath is i agree aspd it's a mouthful it's not very exciting it's not something that looks good in a headline um antisocial personality disorder i'd be like i'm antisocial sometimes whatever but like i wouldn't well it's um a misused term because yeah antisocial doesn't mean you like want to be alone it means that you exhibit um 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 i think i know what word you're what am I trying to say? Um, like you don't know how to be with other people. Or you do things to like impair. You social... do things to impair other people. You yeah. like you truly don't care about another person's yeah. uh, rights or anything. Yeah. It doesn't mean you don't want to be around them. You might want to be around people all the time and just like fuck their shit up always. <laughs> yeah. So that's everything that I had to say about antisocial personality disorder. Um, the fact that psychopathy isn't in the dsm in my eyes doesn't mean that it's not a real disorder i think that it is oh no yeah the dsm doesn't acknowledge it as such but i think it is a very real disorder and it is coming to a dsm near you (laughs) as more research is done or like as the national institute for mental health starts to get its way because there is kind of push and pull between those different diagnostic manuals um the world health organization also kind of semi acknowledges psychopathy but links it under dissocial personality Mm -hmm. disorder so the fact that it's not currently acknowledged as its own thing officially in the diagnostic manuals doesn't mean that it's not currently acknowledged by researchers and scientists so I just wanted oh, to Oh no, like how many psychiatrists that. and psychologists did we quote today who use the word psychopath, psychopath like every other word? Yeah. Um and that's about everything I had to say for today. Megan? Cool. Um that's about all I have too. I hope I start using these words correctly because that's uh, one of the things that I wanted to gain personally out of this was that like as we've talked about before, Marta and I both consume a lot of true crime stuff. Like mm-hmm. I watch Forensic Files fucking all the time because it's on Netflix now and most of the podcasts that I listen to are based on true crime. Um And so these terms come up all the time for me and I thought I had an idea of what they are and I did sort of, but I'm just glad to know that I can use these terms a little bit more confidently. I think it'll make me a little bit more easygoing about when I hear sociopath and psychopath used interchangeably because I used to be like, they're so, I was like, they are different things, but now I'm like, well, even academics say that at times it's a lot of blurred lines. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Robin Thicke. <laughs> <laughs> That's not where I meant to go with it, but sure. 
Um, so this week, I just wanted to update you guys this, the week of our recording, not the week of our posting this, because it'll be a week or two later. Yeah. But we uploaded our podcast to iTunes. Yes, we're also, we did. Yeah, we're also on Stitcher. So if you guys want to download our podcast and listen to them later, that'd be great. Something that really, really helps us, especially in the first eight weeks that we're on iTunes, is for you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. Even just like a five star, you don't have to leave a review or anything. Um, if you have a one star, take your opinions elsewhere. <laughs> and I'm amazed that we you made it this far. will take three stars and up. Yeah, I'm amazed that I'm amazed that you made it this far into our episode. If you only have a one star, but yeah, I feel like if we get a one star rating, it's somebody who didn't finish an episode. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. I'm rambling. Uh, yeah. So right now, us being on iTunes is kind of critical that we get all of if you guys have any feedback to give us give it to us on itunes but also if you wanted to chat with us that'd be really dope as well we do have a facebook page i think in the last episode we posted we we still didn't have a facebook page at that time really i think so no Um, i think we didn't have a twitter maybe maybe i don't know we have both of them now whichever one you want facebook twitter instagram we've got an email who knew we didn't at all of these things everywhere uh i came across one of our uh, not fans but like somebody who has listened to our podcast it was so exciting yeah who wasn't somebody that either of us knows uh, or is connected to in some way yeah uh, she's a murderino, so if you're listening, thank you for listening again. Thank you for returning. Thank um, you. Yeah, and this makes us really giddy when we hear about people who are not our family or friends listening. So. Yeah, it's um, one thing to know that like you and I wanted to talk about this or that you and I would want to listen to something like this. It's another thing to know that like somebody else yeah felt the same way it's it's very cool yeah I, if you listen to our social media episode, you know I am not a sharer and so uh, it means a lot yeah to it's, have good feedback it's cool it's hey it's whatever it's just cool i'm happy <laughs> yeah totally um so join us next time because we're going to be talking about depression bipolar disorder and anxiety um and that'll probably be in a week yep probably yeah, up on <laughs> itunes stitcher google play wherever you find your podcasts um and that's everything bye bye <laughs>